0: Financial
1: coaching is an endurance sport. Today, we look at the insights and concepts that will help you achieve peak financial performance for you and your family, along with Rixon D'Souza. Rixon is a life insurance specialist to high net worth entrepreneurs and executives with 21 years of experience in the profession. For a decade now, Rixon has held a seat at the MDRT, top of the table, and honor reserved for the top 1% of financial advisors around the world. He is also an MDRT and TOT speaker. Rickson's clientele consists of those looking for genuine advice on financial protection, generational wealth, and structuring large-value life insurance to obtain external funding. He is a two-time Marathon the finisher, triathlete, and an enthusiast to, on business process efficiency. Welcome to the show, Rickson. Thank you so much, Chancellor. Um, there were a few things in there that I did, not, I did not know. I didn't realize that... Uh, It's been 21 years for you in the profession. It sounds like a long time. Um, But they have been, I'm sure, 21 very
2: exciting and memorable years. Absolutely. I think it's been a journey that began with me being unemployable on the first day that I got back to Dubai. This was October 1999. Uh I remember coming back to Dubai and um, realizing that I didn't want to do a a steady uh, 8 to 5 or 9 to 6 job. Mm And when I met my mentor at the time, uh, it was at 7.15 in the morning on October 17th. That was the only time he gave to see me. Okay. And he said, uh, you know, there's one thing about the life insurance industry. You can work any hours you want, and you can uh, make as much money or as little money as you want. Uh, you just have to meet three people a day. Hmm. And I signed up. There you go. I <laughs> think the rest is history.
1: Uh, It's interesting. I mean, uh, we've gone through this so many times and in conversations with regard to, you know, you never come into the insurance business by choice. But for you, your family has been in the insurance business for a while. That's right. was Was it a natural
2: progression to join the insurance business or were you thinking of some of the other things that you could possibly do? To be honest, uh, I finished my graduation in industrial relations, economics, and sociology in Bangalore, uh-huh. while my dad was under the assumption that I was also doing a Bachelor of Technology with okay. the Open University of British <laughs> Columbia. Uh, and to be fair, all the money he gave me to finish that four-year undergrad program, yep. I spent in becoming a DJ in Bangalore, Okay. and buying equipment and stuff like that. And when I came back to Dubai, he'd set up a couple of uh, uh, interviews for me with uh, software companies, and uh-huh. I just didn't know how to deal with that, and okay. I... And he gave me an option to join his business. Mm. Actually, he didn't give me the option. I just chose to join his business. But we've always we're very similar people, Mm. so we clashed a lot. Okay. And I lasted with him in his business for about three or four days. Uh, After which he suggested I should go and speak to uh, uh, my first mentor. Yeah. And when we had that conversation, this was about life insurance. And my dad ran an insurance brokerage firm, but they predominantly did uh, property and casualty general insurance and stuff like that. The idea for me to to take up life insurance was for us to be able to introduce life insurance services through our family business channel, which really didn't happen because uh, 15 minutes into meeting uh, my mentor, I quit Uh, the family (laughs) business and that was uh, via a text message at the time because whatsapp wasn't a thing okay yeah Uh, yeah and then after that of course uh, I joined the industry for very different reasons and I stayed for very different reasons okay and we'll get to
1: uh, we'll get into some of that uh, during our conversation but uh, two-time marathon the is finisher Uh, and that's something that I want to talk to you about a little sure Um, I remember the year was uh, 2018 2018, if I'm or 2017, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Um, and I remember speaking up with you, and you mentioned that you'd signed up for this, and it was, you know, I've signed up. I'm I'm going to do this. The the the, the way that I remember you mentioning it was that um, once I've made that commitment, then I sort of put everything else into getting that done and getting there. Correct. Uh, so my uh, the first question for you is, it is a long race, 252 uh, 252 kilometers across the desert. Correct. Five days. That's um, right. And for a guy who doesn't like running, yeah. you know, that's a little bit
2: extreme. So, what what pushed you into getting this or getting into this? You know, it's interesting. There's a there's a series of things that led to this. In I think about ten years, eight to ten years ago, I used to be morbidly obese. Yeah. So I was a, a whole 138 kilos, and while I sold life insurance as a profession, this is what I did for for as as a profession. I earned my money out of selling life insurance products and services. When I applied for my own life insurance policy after my daughter was born, mm-hmm. the insurance company rated me 100% at the age of 33, just based on BMI, height uh, and weight. Right. And uh, this was a shocker for me. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously, at 138 kilos, you expect it. But for some reason, until it happens, you don't realize it, it wasn't real. Yeah. The other thing for me was my mobility was a big problem. My daughter, Leah, when she was born, she was very active as a mm-hmm. child. And I didn't have the energy to keep up with her. Okay. Um, so coupled with the fact that the insurer charged me a high premium and the timely meeting with an old friend who lost a lot of weight, you know, I decided to undergo a procedure right. which uh, uh, called a bariatric sleeve, which led to me dropping the weight and then focusing all my effort on staying fitter. Hmm. I think it was also... Um, my way of dealing with the fact that for the last two decades of my life, I wasn't physically active except the one game of basketball we played per week. Hmm. We spent the rest of the week recovering from that game, but that's a whole different issue. <laughs> um, and then, you know, with the whole uh, Marathon de sabre thing, what caught me was uh, years ago I attended um, a talk. Uh, and the the CrossFit gym that I was a member of hmm. is a place called Inner Fight. And the guy who runs that gym is a guy called Marcus Smith. Yep. And when I met him and I joined the gym, I think a year or two after that, he decided to run Marathon de Sable, he and a guy called Tom Orton. And when they finished their race, um, they had a talk in the gym about the whole event. Okay. And I listened to it and I thought to myself, why would somebody run <laughs> for 250 kilometers yeah. in the desert through sand dunes and through sabkas, you know, salt, dried saltwater uh, beds and riverbeds carrying your own provisions for that entire well it's a five-day run but it's a it's a nine-day stay in the desert to be honest mm-hmm. and it's seven days of um uh, equipment seven days of food of nutrition of everything that you're carrying on your backpack so it could be right. anything between seven to 13 kilos that you've got on your backpack and that you're he's running he's with and, that. and you're running you're running with that yeah uh, and I listened to them speak and I said, it's a fantastic feat that they achieved, but why would somebody put themselves through this? Okay. And bear in mind, at this point, I'm not even thinking about the training it took for them to be ready for this. Because the race was 250 kilometers, but the training for this is over two, 3,000 kilometers, you know, over a span of time. Yep. And it just didn't make sense to me. The only running I was used to at that point was the one 10-kilometer run that we do for Standard Chartered. They had this Dubai Marathon, yes. and they had a 10K version and we did the 10K. Once a year, I'd do that, wow. and occasionally in the middle of CrossFit classes, we'd have a bit of a run in the middle, and that was it. Hmm. I couldn't get myself to get into running; it was, uh, you know, beyond me. You know, the funny thing is, uh, in the gym, in the Cross, when we were in the uh, in that CrossFit gym, yep. I remember we were changing. It was a locker. There was a guy sitting across, and I was in forty yet, and I was thinking to myself. I was talking to him, and I said, "You know what? When I get forty, when I get to forty, I'd like to be on the cover of uh, Men's Health Fitness." Mm-hmm. Okay. And he smiled and he said, you know what? I'm the editor for Men's Health Fitness. And I said, oh, wow. Nice to meet (laughs) you. And and he said, "Trixon, do you know how many men are out there in their 40s who've got an absolutely phenomenal body? Mm. And what gets you on the cover of uh, Men's Health Fitness is not the way your body looks, but is the story behind you. And I thought about my story. What's my story? My story was I had a bariatric surgery done. So basically, I took the shortcut, as people call it. And then I got into fitness and, and for me to build that body would take years. It doesn't come sure. overnight. So, sure. so I thought about his other angle, which was have a crazy, have a great story. And, and through the years of attending various coaching sessions and various conventions where we had, uh, you know, phenomenal speakers, inspirational guys come and talk to us. What always captivated me was a great story. Yeah. Right. And I thought Absolutely. to myself, and I remember telling, uh, you know, years ago attending MDRT uh, and, and attending this uh, one talk where the speaker delivered a phenomenal story, and I, and I told the guy next to me, I said, you know what? This guy's got a fantastic story. Yeah. Uh, amazing. He's mm-hmm. blessed with a fantastic story. He can just s- tell the story for the rest of his life and just you know, make yeah. money just by just telling his story. Yeah. And I remember they had the author's corner, but we went to the author's corner, and I s- spoke to him, and I said, you've got a fantastic story. Yeah. You know, I love your story. I wish I had your story.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he just looked at me, and he <laughs> said, well, I can understand that your past... Yeah. didn't have the story, Correct. but the future is the story for you to write. Mm. It's a blank canvas. Absolutely. Paint it the way you want to. It's a book. You write yeah. what you want in it. And I thought about that, and I thought about the fact that I hated running and the men's health fitness and yeah. everything else put together, and I thought to myself, from a challenge, from a challenge perspective, what is it that I dislike doing? Yeah. It was running. Okay. About a year uh, later, we were training in the gym, and these two guys walked in. There were people that trained with us in the past, and uh, they had just finished uh, the Marathon de sable, mm-hmm. and they looked like they were absolutely wrecked. Okay. Um, and we had a conversation, and I asked him, what, and he said, listen, this is what happened. We ran across the desert. I was on drip for three days because wow. of dehydration. My shoes broke. My, mm. my equipment gave way. And I said, wow, yeah. what an adventure. But I still thought to myself, why would you put yourself through this? Sure. I came back home. And I got into conversation with Sangeeta, my wife, and I said, you know, this is just stupid. These guys (laughs) ran across the desert for 250 kilometers and apparently a thousand people do this every year. And uh, she said, Rickson, it's not your problem. Hmm. Why are you stressing out so much about it? It's not your problem. It was their journey, let them have it. Hmm. And I said, you're right. And I stepped into the room and I Googled Marathon de Sabre, and the first sentence was, uh, the race pegged to be the world's most toughest foot race. I didn't even have to read the rest of it. I logged into their website. I registered. I came out of the room and I told my wife, I said, Sagi, I've, I've registered for the race. And she said, what? When is the race? And I said, April. And now we're in October. Uh-huh. And she says, you don't run more than 10 kilometers a year. Yeah. You're going to run 250 kilometers in five, uh, in five uh, days, in mm. seven days. And I'll come back to this about coaching. Because sure. there's a lot that has to do with coaching over here. But the goal was set. The deadline yeah. was set. It's like exams in school. You know when your exams are going to be. You have a syllabus. You know you need to be prepared by then. So my exam was Correct. going to be Marathon de Sablo. It was in April. First week we were in October. I needed to now get a coach. I needed to now put in the time, the hours, the distance, and, uh, and go ahead with that. Yep. So it's probably one of the most liberating um, experiences of my life, which is why I did it twice, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the history on that. Oh,
1: certainly, very interesting and a great story, undoubtedly. Um, so, what's going through your mind? You're standing at the at the start line. Uh, you know, you've got the whole desert in front of you. Um, the sun is uh, up in the sky, and uh, you know, you hear the gunshot and you take off. So, how has life changed for you since that moment?
2: We were always told. Are all the blogs you read and all the support groups you read for Marathon de Sable mm-hmm. always tell you about an experience you're going to have which is unlike anything you've ever had before. That you'll probably experience all kinds of emotions. You'll go through an emotional roller coaster, highs and lows, crying and laughing. And, and I yeah. thought to myself, this sounds very movie-like or very scripted. Yeah. So actually when I went there, I went there with this intention of just seeing myself through. I didn't have any goals of... Uh, finishing in a top position or podium or any of that stuff and I knew it was far from going to happen anyways the idea was just just to have a great experience the first time I did this I went alone Hmm. because I like the elements I like uh, camping I like the outdoors I like a bit of a struggle I like doing you know DIY I enjoy that kind of stuff so for me this was easy to deal with the difficult part for me was the running Hmm. Um, but we started and I'll tell you in that time in those seven days that the race began and now you're pretty much on your own, Correct. Uh, to, to paint a picture for you, there's a campsite which moves every day. Mm-hmm. And the campsite moves every day, but they rebuild the campsite exactly identical to the one before, okay. from the first day. So you know, if you come in the middle of the night, you know exactly where Great your table. tent is. Correct. Your tent has got a number. And when I say temp- tent, I use this word very loosely. Uh-huh. It's uh, four poles and a tarp uh, going Good. over it. Sure. It's centrally air-conditioned because it's got a big hole on one side and a big (laughs) hole on the other. And there's a carpet at the bottom. And if you're lucky, then they would have cleaned up some of the stones or the sharp rocks underneath it. Sure. If not, you're sleeping on something sharp at night. Okay. And you shared that tent with um, seven other people that you've probably not ever met in your life. Hmm. So the start was easy. It was just going. It was the first day. I said, okay, let's give it everything. Let's run. I overheated. I did too much. But as the race um, progresses
0: mm.
2: and you learn more about yourself, there are breaking points along the way. I found it liberating because I was able to let go of a lot of baggage. okay Stuff that I was carrying that I didn't even realize was on my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad passed away 12 years ago. I never dealt with that. Um, I remember at one point we were running on this uh, dried riverbed mm. and you know for as far as you can see, it was just flat desert land no mm. sand dunes but just flat hard desert land and it was blowing mm. and maybe there was about 100 a, a 100 meters ahead of me and 100 meters behind me there was nobody yeah. uh, you could see people but they couldn't hear you because of the wind sure. and i decided at that point was a good there there was an impulse to just scream mm. and i did and i felt so light after that mm. and i just looked back and front just to make sure you know no one <laughs> saw me or thought i was weird and No one cared because everybody was going through their own journey. Mm. And encouraged by that, I let out a couple of more screams. And, you know, I came back from that trip very focused, Mm. uh, very reassured about um, me as an individual, about my goal setting process, um, about uh, life in general, Mm -hmm. about my family, my priorities, what I wanted, what was important to me and what wasn't. Mm. And while even prior to that, I, had, I thought I had a pretty structured life. Yep. Um, post that, it just took it to a... Post-Marathon Disabler, it just took it to a whole different uh, level completely, mm-hmm. which meant um, a lot of the things over the years, all the conventions, all the coaching programs, all these fantastic books and podcasts and stuff that you're listening to or reading, you co- your mind is constantly consuming that information. Correct. But do we ever stop to let it settle, and to act on it. Mm. And those seven days in the Sahara Desert was basically me just reflecting. Mm. It was amazing. So I was able to come back with a lot of changes for myself and my family and my life. Yep. Um, a lot more appreciation for my team and my clients and all the different moving paths and people that make things happen. It was a liberating experience. Yeah, but I can tell you for sure that this was... This is one thing that changed me um, uh, completely as a person mm. from my thought process. Yeah.
1: That's interesting. And you, you raise a very uh, very valid and relevant point. We do consume so much of information, whether it is um, through events uh, like we've attended, either the conferences or you know if you're watching and consuming content on the various social channels. Um, but being able to sort of digest and assimilate and then actually think of how to, Implement that in into our lives, into our schedules, whether it's work or personal, is is, is probably missing from today's uh, the busy sort of kind of world uh, that we live in. Um, and that brings me to one of the uh, one of the things that I've you know I've always admired about you is the discipline that you have. Um, there is a lot um, there's a lot that I can learn and I have learned from you, and there are a lot of people who struggle with it uh, with with being disciplined. What is your approach? How did you sort of formulate that? And you know, what guides you or motivates you to sort of remain uh, disciplined? In, in it? I'm, I'm sure it is it is it is not you set it and forget it. It's something that you probably have to do and keep reminding yourself uh, to to sort of do. So
2: I'd really like to sort of get your view and your thoughts and perspective on this. I'll, I'll tell you uh, if you ask me to just to wake up in the morning mm. every day at four a.m. Without any goal associated with it, I won't do it because there's nothing exciting and interesting enough for me to make to make me want to jump out of bed and say, "Hey, this is fantastic. it's four a m. let's go, let's smile, let's sing. I am a morning person mm-hmm. I do tend to sing in the morning, okay. <laughs> having said that, my discipline begins with the setting of a goal. okay, So if there was no goal, then the discipline would not be towards waking up in the m- i mean waking up late is also a discipline sure you know if you woke up every day at 10 a 10 uh, am consistently that's also a discipline right Sure. and people who work shifts or work uh, uh, the, the the night shift and things like that for them the discipline is waking up at their day right. may begin at 10 12 1 whatever it is correct but for me i i feel like the the whole discipline around my life comes with setting specific goals in various um, parts of my life various okay. areas of my life mm-hmm. Um, there was a speak. There was a speaker that uh, I can't remember his name, but he wrote a book on intentional living, hmm. which we attended many years ago at the Million Dollar Roundtable in the U.S. And um, you know that, that book really spoke to me. And, okay. and if I and if I think about what I picked out of that is, if you want to get to somewhere, you need to plan it. Correct. If there is no, if you think of your life, uh, if you think of yourself as a ship, yeah, a ship can go on autopilot. Predominantly, Right. True. But if there is no navigation point to show which is the next port it's going to stop at, hmm. then it's just going anywhere the wind blows or wherever the rudder turns, you right. know, it's pointless. It's just, it's just moving. Sure. sure. So I feel that if you have that end point, that navigation point, that goal that guides, you know, whether that goal is fitness based, family based, whether that goal is, uh, related to your work and your clients and yeah. your you know your, your business. It doesn't matter. As long as you have that goal, then then building a system in or putting a system in place that can help you get to that goal yeah. is basically what the discipline is all about. Hmm. And even then the enthusiasm for achieving those tasks to get to that goal may be there for the first few days, maybe a couple of weeks, and the sure. first time you hit a snag it's very possible that um, that you'll stop. Correct. Which is why I think that this enthusiasm and the excitement will take you about that far, and habit formation after that is what makes things happen, hmm. right? So for me today, I, f- I firmly believe it all begins with that goal setting process. So I'm a early morning person, like I said, I wake up at 4:30 every morning, but I wake up at 4:30 because I've discovered over the last 21 years of uh, working that my most productive time of the day is the early hours of the morning. Yeah. So if When someone tells me, oh, you wake up at 4.30, what do you do? Mm. Well, between 4.45 and 6.30, I can get most of my work associated uh, for the day out of the way. Mm. Uh, The rest of the day would be based on meeting clients and interactions. But as far as um, uh, communication, dealing with team members, managing, uh, allocating work and stuff like that, I'm most productive in the morning. Mm. If you ask me to do this in the afternoon, anytime after 2 p.m., you've lost me. Hmm. so my discipline allows me to do this in the morning at the same time True. we live in dubai it's hot it's humid if you need to train for a triathlon for an ultra marathon for a run for anything uh, you have options i mean it's not like we're living you know in a cold country where you can go out in the middle of the afternoon and get on a run True. so you have True. to get it done first thing in the morning or, or the last thing in, in at, the, night. at night yeah. and i'm not a night guy hmm. i'll be asleep so the morning is an easier bet for me so I believe the you know the discipline and stuff like, discipline is something which you can build on as soon as you know what are you chasing, what are you after, what gets you excited to wake up in the morning. Whether it's early or late, it's irrelevant. But what's the goal? Yeah. And once you have that goal, then to draw out a map of how to get there is easier.
0: Hmm.
1: Makes sense. I mean, I think uh, like 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 what you mentioned, a uh, similar concept would apply towards financial planning and you know i mean if you would like to achieve something you better start with a goal um and one of the things that uh, you've managed to do well very well on the back of uh, you know some of the the activities that you've done is equated to uh, you know financial fitness with physical fitness in a sense uh so what's the philosophy there and uh, you know how do you
2: how do you see that benefit clients i think as it's true with uh most parts of our life. I know we're in a day and age where instant gratification is available. Mm. So if you post on social media, you're expecting a like, a comment, a click, a subscribe. And this is instant gratification. You constantly see people after they've posted, and I've been a victim of this as well. Um, Constantly refreshing your page to see how many people have liked it, how many people have commented, et cetera, et cetera. And this is instant gratification, but the reality is in life. I mean, if you think about the number of years you're gonna spend, or the number of days you're gonna spend on this planet, Um, there are a series of activities that can take you towards your longer term goals. Hmm. If you consider financial fitness, uh, sure, we all know stories of people who made that one investment at the right point in time in crypto or in property or in whatever else may be the case that just overnight the markets exploded and they made a ton of money and you Correct. know they made their millions, sure. But the reality is for the masses... It may not be the same case. Mm. It has to be a long-term approach. It'll, in most cases, require the guidance. Now, if you're an individual who can be, who's self-taught, who can read blogs, who's got all the time in the world to listen to content, read blogs, activate things yourself, which is not the masses, by the way. But if you are that person, then you may not require a financial coach per se. You may not require an advisor to help you take you through this journey. Because there are so many different Points along the way, right? And as as a young advisor in the market in '99, when I got into this, while I was talking the talk, yeah. I was 21 years old. Yeah. The reality is, what did I know about uh, financial fitness? Sure. I I didn't have uh, any expenses really. I was living at home with my parents. Yeah. Food was taken care of. Rent was taken care of. I needed to earn a commission, which would basically help me to go out on the weekend and have a good time. Yeah. That was really it. But if I think about myself today, 43 years old, I'm married. I have two children. They're ten and seven years old. Mm-hmm. They are, they've got school. So we've got school fees to pay. Yes. We've got to think about their college education, and there's that to plan for. Mm-hmm. If you want to give them a head start in life, there's the extracurricular activities. There's, uh, from from a from a spousal relationship standpoint, we have goals as a couple that we want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. As a as a team leader, I've got five people that work with me. I'm responsible for them financially as well. Yep. To my clients, I've got a responsibility. So there are so many. Uh, So many things along the way that require me to plan for. Financially, if I think about it now, I'm unable, I won't be in a position to manage all of that stuff had I not planned it out properly. Mm. Uh, You can't just wake up one morning and say, oh, my school fees are due tomorrow. Of course. I hope I've got X amount of money in the account. It doesn't work that way. So you've got to sit and think about this. And as a journey, as you grow, you can either learn from the mistakes of somebody else. Mm -hmm. You can use a coach. Or you can do, again, unfortunately, what the masters do is basically make those mistakes themselves continuously correct. Correct. but the journey uh, uh, with a financial coach or a financial advisor is a should be a long-term uh, plan mm. and the reason it's very relevant in the UAE because we live in a transient country people sure. come people go yep. it's the same for advisors as it is for clients mm. it's very critical that you identify that blueprint correct you know which you can always go or your financial plan per se which yep. you can reflect back on whether mm. the consultant is there or not tomorrow, sure. whether sure. he's left the country, moved from here to, you know, Australia, Canada, Timbuktu. sure. But you need to have some kind of a blueprint, some kind of a charted out map or a plan or a business plan mm. that shows you where you are right now, what are the various benchmarks in life that you want to accomplish, sure. whether it's coming up with a down payment on a property, whether it's eliminating credit card debt, mm. whether it's being able to purchase a new asset, whether it's investing in equity markets, what sure. your appetite for risk is, when is this money going to come out to you, How much money is required for education of your children? Where would you like to retire? It's an endless conversation. Hmm. We've had clients with us for a period for as long as 21 years. Some of my uh, clients have been my clients for 21 years now. And we meet them anything between once a quarter to once a year, depending upon their requirement. But even for the people that have been my clients for 21 years, every time we sit and meet, it's still part of a journey. We're mm-hmm. still talking about something else which is accomplished, that needs to be accomplished and the other stuff that we listed out as goals yep. and where we stand or where we match up against those goals. Cos- so um, this is a m- moving target and I think it's easier with a financial advisor yep. than it is trying to navigate through this alone. One thing I quickly want to say over here is most recently, I decided to recruit the services of a uh, CFO, Mm -hmm. a firm that basically helps me manage my finances. So essentially what they do is they take all my statements, they figure out what's in, what's not. And and then they have a conversation with me about budgeting, about staffing, about, you know, how much money I have access to, to if I need to increase anything with infrastructure and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the most recent conversation I had with him Mm. was, um, I said, hey, would you like to help me with my own personal budgeting? Mm. And he looked at me and said, uh, but you're a financial advisor. Yeah. And in my head, the only analogy I could drop is I said, you know, even the world's best chef needs to come back home and unwind. Even he probably is going to order in or have somebody else cook for him. The reality is even for a financial coach as myself, I need the assistance of a third party to make this easier. Sure, I need somebody else to ask me the questions, make me think, but I can just give them the answers and they can draw up a plan for me. So I think this is required regardless. And again, if I have to equate this with the world's best coaches Mm -hmm. in fitness and endurance athletes you know triathletes and stuff like that the world's best coaches have coaches absolutely Absolutely. even if you're uh, an ironman podium level athlete Mm. and you're coaching a whole different community for the same thing you probably have another coach already and that's just to hold you accountable to make sure that you're hitting your goals you know so I think this is very relevant. Yeah. So it brings an external
1: perspective. Sometimes it's good to be able to sort of uh, have someone who can step back out of your, you know, your, you're too close to your life. I mean, sometimes you can't see the patterns. And I guess that's the real value that a coach adds is being able to give that independent perspective and the accountability uh, The accountability part. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and of course, coaches, as we know, are there to push you to do the right thing, as painful as it may be. and.
2: Is that something that you uh, that you find yourself doing for your clients? Yeah, absolutely. I think over the, um, I'm very interested in long-term relationships. Yep. Um, the life insurance and the financial services industry globally has been seen to be predominantly transactional. Hmm. It's seen to be transactional because there are products and services that are involved. Predominantly, people remember products. Hmm. I've got a new product for you. Sure. Buy this! Mm. This is a great plan. It's got X percent extra allocation or mm. such a discount right now. Uh, that that's the transactional part of it. Sure. But as uh, as far as um, um, the financial, you know, coaching journey is concerned, I think it's very relevant for us to think about it from a long term relationship standpoint. Mm. Uh, it would be no different uh, if if my if I as an as a as an individual went to a coach. Mm. a fitness coach, for example, and I said, hey, I'd like to sign up for one season of coaching with you because I need to go from zero. Uh, talk about my Marathon Disabler journey yep. where I said, I need to start running. I need a running coach. I said, Marcus, can you be my coach? And he said, sure. Mm. I'm going to coach you for the next six months to get to uh, Marathon Disabler. Hmm. I finished Marathon Disabler and I realized that I was done with that goal for now. Sure. So we didn't renew the contract for coaching because that goal was accomplished. Mm-hmm. Think about the financial journey that you have and the various goals along the way. Hmm. Now, whether it is an individual who's a coach for you or multiple individuals, until you've completed that journey hmm. completely, sure, you've hit all those... Targets that you'd set out for yourself, whether it's financial stability, financial freedom, Mm -hmm. um, uh, a parallel income, taking care of your lifestyle, whether it's uh, taking care of estate taxes or education planning for your children, retirement. Mm. It could be simple. It could be complex. But until you've checkmarked all those boxes, you will still require some form of coaching, some form of advisory. And whether it's with one coach or multiple coaches, whether they have changed along the way, it's irrelevant. Sure. The fact of the matter is you still need that individual or that person or that guiding light mm. uh, that can actually help you accomplish this and hold you accountable. There is, in my opinion, a percentage of people, a very, very small percentage of people mm. that are absolutely self-managed mm. and can do this for themselves without a problem. Sure. And all respect to them, but the masses are not in that space because the lives we lead are busy. We wear different hats. You know, we're parents, we're spouses, we're business owners or executives or working for companies. Uh, We're children of, you know, we're siblings. We've got so many different roles to play. And after you finish with all of that uh, and you've given yourself enough time to rest, there may be very little time left Uh, or the decision-making ability that your brain allows you for will be far lesser. Correct. Uh, to accomplish these goals, so. so it's best to outsource it.
1: And it's extremely—it's an extremely important part part of our lives. And Absolutely, you know, it, des- it deserves the, the care and attention that you'd like to give because that's what makes uh, both the family as well as the personal uh, uh, things work on the personal front as well.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, what are so? I'm going to get into a little bit more with regard to clients and finances. Um, you know, you you of course you work with many business owners, entrepreneurs um a diverse set of uh clients right from the time that you've started off your career i mean you've not it's not been that you know suddenly you've come in and you've started working with uh, with a particular segment of uh, clientele but you've also grown through that journey um and i think that brings me to the question is what are the biggest mistakes that you see uh, you know clients make with their finances and also
2: the flip side to that what are the biggest wins that you've seen clients have Mistakes are interesting, you know, because we are from. The, I always t- tell people that I am a life insurance advisor, mm. and I offer financial services. Mm. And a lot of people don't want to talk to a life insurance advisor because it's not a glamorous, uh, sexy product. Mm. It's you know you're talking about people dying, of course, and somebody else receiving the benefits of your of your of your decisions. Sure, right, sure. So it's not, the best, it's not the most exciting thing to purchase. People are more excited. I think people spend more time planning um, a summer vacation mm. or even an Eid break mm. or actually in today's <laughs> day and age, a staycation, <laughs> people spend more time planning that than they do their finances, mm. right? Um, so I'll tell you, um, I'll share one story with you. I schooled in Dubai. So I, I, we moved here when I was uh, a year old and okay. schooling for me was in Dubai. And there was a very dear friend of mine who the both of us, came back to Dubai in 99. Mm. And we both started working together, you know, as 21-year-olds in the in, in, in respective careers. Sure. We were both broke together. Mm. And uh, and we clawed our way up, uh, you know, corporate or business or whatever you want to call it, uh, sure. uh, together. Mm. On his 30th birthday, mm. this guy, mm, a very dear friend of mine, because we, we were next to our neighbors, we were in the same bus, you know, we were in the same yeah. class. we, Yeah, we had a lot in common. Mm. He suffered a heart attack on his 30th birthday. Ouch. Okay. Now to give you some background on this, by the time he was 30, he was financially very successful already. Okay. Uh, the guy was making over $20,000 a month. Um, hmm. Most of his money came as commissions from uh, the sales he made. Okay. Uh, he was an in infrastructure. He did really, really well for himself. Um, and this was around 2008 when the global financial meltdown was meltdown. just about beginning. Yeah. Uh, while while he was physically fit he didn't look unfit he was about six feet two inches tall probably about 79 kilos wow. lean okay. on the ex- on the outside he looked absolutely fine yeah but on his 30th birthday he suffered a heart attack hmm. and he was rushed to the hospital our friends who were in Dubai who schooled with him all went together to see him I'll never forget there was a f- there was a South African doctor who saw us enter yeah. and he said uh, you know out of all the people that have uh, come in to see him mm-hmm. he was the last person i would beg to have this heart condition correct and at that time m- mind you i was at my morbid uh, my, my morbidly obese sure. best sure um and the three of us that went to show him looked like we should have had a heart attack before him sure um now i'll i'll rewind to nine months before this situation occurred i had a conversation with him like i said we were all good friends we've known each other for a very long time we had a very easy relationship. And when I approached him many years ago, saying, "Hey, listen, dude, you need to buy your, set your life insurance and savings and investments in place," by thirty he was already a father of a four-year-old. Correct. Uh, he was also the single. It was a single uh, income earner in his family. He had, mm-hmm. a, he had his, a wife okay. that depended on him financially, mm-hmm. and his parents, his aging parents. Okay. And they lived um, uh, in between Dubai and Sharjah. Mm. Uh, he he found the right place that was cheaper on rent. Sure. And nice big place, he yeah. drove to work every day, he finished after a 12, 14 hour workday. came back home tired and exhausted. And this was his life, six days a week, five days a week. Hmm. When I approached him to get his insurance in place, hmm. I based it on his income and the fact that he had to support four people. Hmm. He had a budget in mind. And the budget in mind that he had for himself was roughly about $2,000 a month at the time. Sure. And he said, whatever you do has to come into $2,000 a month. We hmm. need to figure out savings, investments, for my for the education of my child for my retirement as well as for you know any life insurance if you think it's required okay and I put a proposition together for him based on his um, uh, earnings based on his expenses yeah and we put in place a half a million dollar life insurance coverage mm-hmm. with a quarter of a million dollar critical illness cover in place hmm. when I met him and the total budget for everything put together was inside the 2000 US dollars sure. so when I had the presentation done to him he looked at it he reviewed it and he told me, I'm okay with the $2,000 a month, but you know how we're spending $500 on the life insurance product and mm-hmm. the uh, 1500 on the savings and investments? Can we switch that up? Can we do 200 or $250 a month on the life insurance? And mm-hmm. can we put the rest in the savings and investments? Mm-hmm. Because I want to see my money grow. This life insurance. I mean, come on, I'm 29 years old. Mm-hmm. Do I really need it right now? I've got a company group policy. I've got medical insurance. You know, sure. everything was discussed. And my... Um, The error I made Hmm. uh, in that situation is I did not want to disturb or disrupt an age-old friendship. Hmm. If this was not a friend of mine, I would have been a lot more aggressive with that pitch and I would have told him exactly why he should and shouldn't do it. I feel that on that day I failed because I didn't uh, tell him exactly why. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Uh, The decision is always going to be the clients. But I don't think I did a good enough job of telling him why he needed to keep that proposition the way it is. Nine months after that is when he had the heart attack. Yeah. He purchased before that a $200,000 life cover with a $100,000 critical illness. Mm. And the insurer settled his critical illness claim in a span of seven days, which mm. was instant, really. But since then, now we are both 43 years old. Mm. Since then, he has been unsuccessfully trying to purchase life insurance from any and every avenue possible. Sure, It's impossible to get that today. Yeah. Uh, critical illness is not going to be on the table for him ever. Yeah. They said six years, and every six years we apply again, mm. and the insurer flags it. And to be fair, he's lost that opportunity. Sure. Now, if I talk about, from the finance, from the savings and investment standpoint, he's done well for himself. Sure. But you see, the appetite for risk mm. for an individual who was very aggressive before mm. has now completely changed sure. to investing only in secure investments because his concern today, he uh, he thinks and acts today, like a 75-year-old or a 65-year-old who has finished his accumulation phase. Correct. Exactly. He's thinking very conservative. He's thinking, uh, I can't afford to lose any money because yeah. I still have my parents, my wife, and my daughter to mm. take care of. She's going to go to college. So to give you an idea, he lives in an apartment for the last 10 years, which mm. he loves. Yep. He wants to buy that apartment. Mm. He has the financial stability to pay a down payment and you know pay the monthly um, uh, installments on in it but he's unable to get collateral, which is life insurance, mm. to buy the property. Great. So now, because of that one situation, he's been unable to purchase his property. Wow. Any decision he makes today has to go through so many rounds of thinking mm. because the question is, hey, if I put my money here, what if it bombs? Yeah. Unlike everybody else, I may not have a second chance. Yeah. And in that period, from 2008 till now, he's undergone a second uh, um angioplasty done okay and you know so I know for a fact that insurance is not going to be on the cards at all. So if you ask me about a situation where I think something failed yeah while financially he's doing well for himself, he still got the right habits in place, he's sure. accumulating with the same individual the, 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 the place where he failed is the fact that he didn't put in the right proposition at the right point in time yeah. Where he did well where he where I say he had a great success story hmm. was the fact that he has always been somebody who constantly put away money on a regular basis. That habit formation of 40 to 50, even sometimes 60% of his income was always parked away. Hmm. He's not somebody with uh, uh, big needs or wants. He could afford to buy any car he wants to, but he's had the same car for eight years. You know, these things don't make a difference in his life. Hmm. So he's constantly been able to do that. So within the same individual, I can say he's had a fail and a win. Correct. Um, So I think this, if it tells me anything, leaving aside the savings and investment side of it from an insurance front i always find younger people when i say younger this yeah. is again uh, relative sure some people in their 60s are saying yeah, absolutely. why do i need life insurance i'm so young mm. and some people in their 30s can't buy life insurance anymore because they 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 yeah they passed that boat right yeah uh, and in the last 21 years i can tell you there are at least four or five individuals that i know that either got in their thirties mm. or younger, that either got declined cover mm. or got charged a higher premium. And I am a live example of this myself. Sure. Um, so I think from a if, if there's any takeaway from this, I'd say insurance is not sexy, it's not, it's not something exciting to buy. Yeah. But you gotta do it when the time is right. Absolutely. As a 75-year-old client of mine told his son, mm. you're going to buy that life insurance policy at some point. Yeah. You can either do it like I did it and pay a lot of money for your policy, Mm. or you can do it right now when you're 38 and buy it for a fraction, for an eighth of what I'm paying. Absolutely. Right? So I think um, that's one thing that I'd like to highlight is from an insurance standpoint, it's very critical that we get the right levels of cover in place right now Mm. while you're insurable. I want to talk to you about a fantastic success story now. Mm. These are for uh, two of my clients. Yeah. One is no longer a client because that journey was complete. Okay. When I I got into that journey uh, midway, mm. uh, the journey began with uh, him giving me access to all the contracts and all the investments he purchased over the years. Sure. And sharing with me his goal of wanting to retire at the age of forty-five. Okay. I was twenty-four at the time, mm. and I looked at this guy and I thought about all the data we had mm. on retirement, and I said, you know. It's never going to happen. And sure. I kept telling him, I said, man, I appreciate what you want to do, but it, it really takes a lot. You need to be putting aside more than 60, 65% of your money. And I said, listen, think about it. You started working at 20. If you retire at 45, you've earned an income for 25 years. Hmm. If you live till 75 hmm. and longer, then and you retire at 45, you're saying, I've worked for 25 years, and the money I saved is going to last me for 30, 30 years, years longer? Sure. I said, come on, it doesn't work that way. Think hmm. about it. And he was adamant about wanting to do it. He was, he comes in that 1% or sub 1% of people who are phenomenal planners themselves. And this guy, whether he was earning, uh, when I met him, he was making 6,000 dirhams a month. Hmm. And when he completed his journey uh, as a client with me, he topped off, uh, he topped off at 200,000 dirhams a month. Wow. He saved over 75% of his income at any given point in time. Hmm. And this was just him. It was then a habit that passed on to his spouse, his wife, who was also a big earner. And his goals were very clear. He said, Rickson, we're going to leave Dubai and we're going to move to Canada. Mm. But when I move to Canada, I'm going to move to Canada with no debt. Mm. So I'll buy the property outright. And this is the plan I have for the house. And yes, education for the children is free or subsidized in Canada. But I'd like to have $100,000 for each child now before I leave. They're only required when he's 53 or 54. But he wants the money ready when he reaches Canada. And then he had. He also wanted to have an additional million, one one to one point five million Canadian dollars available as play money, mm. to be able to invest and get returns and sure. manage his income. Mm. He was very clear that he did not want a high pressure job. Sure. Mind you, he wasn't a business owner. He worked a, a, a stable job in a company over the years. He grew and you know, and made sure that he packed away money on a regular basis through the property uh, booms and crashes, sure. through the market booms and crashes. He constantly invested. And his goal was to retire at 45. He retired at 41. Wow. Okay. Financially Mm. absolutely stable. Mm. He focused the next uh, three or four years of his life uh, managing his, making sure his children and his spouse settled into their new life in Mm. Canada. And he just manages his money today. He offers some consulting services Uh in the field that he's, uh, he spent his career in. But um, his, I mean, he's able to live a life without a need for to work an eight-hour workday. Correct, right? Correct. Um, in a company, in a corporation, and just manage the income from his assets hmm. to take care of things debt-free. It's just yeah, amazing. That's amazing. It's amazing. Absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah. And the others, st- and he was a very aggressive investor. I'll tell you that as well. Okay. And I'll tell you about another client uh, now. She's 54 years old. Mm-hmm. She has no plans of retiring anytime soon. Okay. And she moved to Dubai when she was uh, 20 years, 25 years old or so. Okay. And she works as an administrator with a fairly good company. Mm. Today, at the peak of her career, she draws in about 25,000 dirhams a month. Mm. She's got very low, very small needs in life. Sure. She's a single, has never been married, has no children, sure. but has a host of... Dependents who are her nieces and nephews. Okay. And when I first met her, I got introduced to her by a banker who said, someone's managing her portfolio, could you give it a look over? Hmm. And I saw her portfolio, and she had invested everything into aggressive equities, stocks and shares, leveraged portfolios, mm-hmm. things where the risk could be really high. And we sure. sat down and we spoke about her goals in life yeah. and where she wanted to retire and how much of money she would require at retirement. And when we saw her needs were so meager, hmm and her asset base was already so cash rich hmm. that even if she removed all her money out of these aggressive portfolios and dumped them into an into a fixed deposit that only gave her a 1% return per annum hmm. she could retire today wow okay so this client again was not a client of mine i got in on the action just to help her plan her finances sure. out. Sure. And we restructured her entire portfolio to go into just low-risk portfolios because she didn't require to have leveraged uh, equities and you Correct. know and stuff like that. And Correct. it's just a fantastic thing to see today because she can call it quits today. Mm. She can base it on her mood. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a good thing to do that, but sure. she can if she wanted to. If she said, I'm having a bad week at work, I need to take the next three months off, mm. She could do that today yeah. without be. having to worry about, you know, how will the lights stay on? Of course. How am I going to eat? All that's taken care of. Mm. So that financial independence, I, I think that that's what I mean by financial independence is when either a parallel source of income mm. can basically take care of all your expenditure. Yeah. And that could either come from, uh, you know, rental income, your assets giving you some kind of sure. a dividend, a coupon, or, or an interest rate, or a business that you set up on the side that's earning you an income without much of involvement from your side. All of this would lead to financial freedom. And Mm. the idea of financial freedom or retirement today, in my opinion, Mm. is uh, from an executive standpoint, it's leaving corporate life, Mm. not having to punch in and punch out. Sure. But working now because you enjoy it, engaging yourself because it's something that you enjoy doing rather than you have to because you need to pay bills. Sure. Children have to go to college, retirement has to be met, I need to pay my life insurance premiums, sure. I have to pay that mortgage. So these are the things that, uh, you know, from from, if I, if I look back today from uh, client journeys, mm. uh, I've seen a lot more uh, failures, I'll tell you that, than yeah. I have seen success, mm. uh, because it's very easy for us as humans to drop the plan, Got it. Uh, you know, it, and it's the same is true for fitness and endurance, mm. you're having a bad week and you say, I quit. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to wake up at 4.30 today. I don't want to go for that run. I mm-hmm. don't want to go to the gym. I'm not going to have a cheat meal on the weekend. I'm going to just start eating anything I want to. So it's sure. an easier thing to do that sure. than it is to stay the course. Absolutely. But people who've stayed the course and have planned their course out well in the beginning, hmm. you know, like endurance, yeah. <laughs> they'll be peaking. Oh, Of course. You know, so... Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Not, uh, uh, fantastic uh, stories. I mean really inspiring as well. Uh, it gives hope uh, to a lot of our listeners I ho- I'm assuming um, to be able to sort of work and walk down that same path. Um, yeah, I want so I just want to add one uh, thing to that and you know, that's something that uh, uh, when you mentioned, you know, very often uh, some of the times we will f- fail in what we're doing. So, you know, uh, we, we tried something, we said we're going to uh, save X amount a month, and we've done it for a month. The next month, it's not happened. Uh, and one of the things that I've learned, although not necessarily with finance, but uh, with uh, with with getting rid of a bad habit, has been that you will occasionally fail, but you need to sort of get back up, pick yourself up, and you know, just continue. Uh, so that was when I was trying to quit smoking at s- a certain point of time, and uh, I'd end up uh, you know having a cigarette, and then. Uh, Thinking that, oh, now I had that smoke, so um, that's it. But I realized that, no, I need to be able to forgive myself for having that, had and broken that, and then just pick up again and say, you know what, I'm not going to do it again. It's 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 fine. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I think that that works with uh, us and our plans as well in financing uh, in finances as well. If we've not made that payment in a month, that's
2: not the end of it. Uh, continue working on that plan and working that plan. You know, Anthony it's an interesting thing that you mentioned that. Uh, one of the blogs we're writing right now is on a book I'm reading. It's Mm. called Permission to Fail. Mm. And it's true in the fitness world. It's true in life in general. We all have these big goals in front of us, right? But we're also humans, right? We're human beings. So there are wants and needs that our body have. And we have sensory organs that if you look at something, you know, it looks interesting enough and you might might want to experience it right now. And the most common form of this, if you look at it, is someone who's going through this weight loss journey right now. Yeah. And they've got a coach and a nutritionist and someone has given them the entire plan and they say, this is what you need to eat. Yeah. Uh, If there's no wiggle space in that, there's no wiggle space in that, you know, if there's no space for you to cheat, then how long are you going to go with discipline? Mm. There's going to be that day when you've got a bad mood, something's gone wrong. Sure. There's a donut sitting in front of you and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to eat the donut. Mm. And that's okay. My opinion is it's okay to eat the donut. Yeah. Plan. In fact, even plan for that donut to be there mm. once a week. So before you feel like eating the donut, the donut is already consumed, and you don't have those uh, wants anymore. Sure. But if you can put that plan in there for that failure, yeah. to just be that one meal or that one snack or that one, you know, one 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 time, mm. go back to the rest of your uh, plan after that. Yeah. You know, if you can get it right between seventy-five to eighty percent of the time, yeah, then yeah. I'm sure it's a lot better. Than not getting it right at all. Absolutely. But absolutely. getting it wrong once, overspending once, yeah. doing the holiday, uh, the expensive holiday once when you really had a plan to save money, yeah. doesn't mean that you need to throw out the goal completely. Absolutely. And just decide, okay, we're just going to leave it to fate. Correct. Right? right. So I think planning to fail um, or giving yourself that permission to just you know ease up once in a while, yeah. it's not a bad idea at all. I know no, absolutely. Um, You were a
1: business owner for many years, you know, running a successful business. um, Yet you chose to walk away from it. Uh, Yes. um, So what was the mindset? Why? And, uh, you know, how... uh, What are the benefits you've
2: seen? Over the years of... um, I started my business at a very young age. Mm. I was 27 years old. Uh, I was 2004. Um, I didn't have the money for it. I borrowed money from my father, Mm. um... And my brother and me got in business together Mm. as life insurance brokers Mm. we didn't have a business plan except for the fact that i felt i was producing enough um uh, life insurance sales to earn the commissions to run a business and the fact that my brother did general insurance motor fire casualty property that kind of stuff we thought we could complement each other's clients got it that was the whole purpose behind the business really there was no proper planning into it. And mm. for the first three or four years, we cruised because my income went up significantly versus mm-hmm. when I represented an insurance company or an insurance broker. Yeah. Because there was so much extra cash available from that. Mm. And that was really it. As the years went by and I got more into coaching as an, as an attendee mm-hmm. rather than as a coach, Sure. I learned a lot more about myself. And a few things that resonated with me were... Um, There were certain activities Mm. within that framework of a business, which I hated. Mm. I did not enjoy doing at all. Uh, To give you an idea, I was working a good 14-hour workday, at least. And this was um, about six days a week. Um, I had three people assisting me, and they took turns. Two of them took turns to come in on a weekend and work with me, because my clients came to see me on weekends. We managed it like a doctor's premises where there was a waiting room. Somebody came and waited while I was finishing up another meeting. And the team then got hours in lieu, which they clubbed with their uh, annual leave and got more time off. Sure, um, I was exhausted. I was drained. I was morbidly obese. I had uh, acid reflux and a host mm. of other issues health-related. And apart from that, I wasn't spending enough time with my family. I kept telling Sangita, my wife, that listen, you know, it's the nature of my business when people are free is when I am busy because mm. they can only see me after their work is done. Sure. Apart from this, there were other things that I had to focus on, recruitment, client complaints from advisors that represented the business, mm. dealing with the regulator, um, you know, uh, dealing with product providers, yeah. everybody wants to, some of your time, they wanna pitch sure. uh, an idea to you, a product to you so that you can sell it through your company or advise your team to sell it. Sure. There were a host of things that really I didn't enjoy doing. The mm. only thing in there that I enjoyed doing was really the client interactions. Yeah. But to be able to be a successful business owner at that point in my life, I needed to be able to spend about 30 to 40% of my time managing the business. Mm. But also there was pressure on me to make sure that the business was financially successful, which means if the rest of the team wasn't bringing the business in, I you still had to, had to do my you? job as Absolutely. an advisor. Sure. So a lot of the business, a lot of the money I made from being an advisor went back into managing the business, and vice versa. And I just, uh, you know, realized I was in a negative space. Hmm. The switch happened when I decided to focus on my unique ability. Hmm. I mean, we identified what that unique ability was, and none of the organizational, or none of the management stuff was my unique ability. Really, sure. I enjoy having um, facilitating fruitful conversations. And building communities with people around me. Mm. And the change today from being that business owner mm. and people people mistake some of this sometimes. Mm. You know, there is a bit of ego involved in letting go of a business and working for or with somebody. Yep. But you can still be an entrepreneur within a business. Of course. You can still think entrepreneurially within a business. And today for me, the, the takeaway is if I am allowed to do just what I'm good at, mm. right? If I'm allowed to do just what I'm which is basically working or sitting in front of clients, yep. engaging them, asking them the right questions, identifying what their problems are, giving them a bird's eye view on what is right and what is wrong and what needs to be fixed, yeah. then I feel fulfilled completely. Absolutely. Um, during my coaching program with Dan Sullivan at Strategic Coach, the question that was most commonly asked to us is, who do you want to be a hero to? Hmm right yep. and, and this question just changed my life because i thought about it until then uh, till i was 32 years old i'm 43 now till i was 32 years old when i asked for a reference i asked for a reference for anybody sure it didn't matter and then there were some cases some clients where i didn't enjoy dealing with them hmm. and there were some people that i absolutely enjoyed dealing with so over the years, what we identified, apart from just the activities that I enjoy doing, mm. we also identified who were the right kind of clients, what keeps me excited. And I realized that I draw a lot of parallels with people who are about the same age group as myself, yeah. married with children, have got great family values. One of the disqualifiers or qualifiers I have for, my, for taking on a client is, can I bring you home mm. with your family yeah. to my place for, for a meal? And if I can, if I'm op- open to letting somebody come into my house, mm-hmm. invite them into my life, then I can look at it as a possible, a potential client as well. Sure. Because then it's the same. The same relationship Correct. applies. The values tend the to be the, the values same. Values tend to be the same. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And this changed completely for me. I club that with what happened in Marathon de Sablo as well. Mm-hmm. The focus then, post uh, uh, unique ability, who do you want to be a hero to? Letting go of the business. Yeah. And when I let go of the business was about the time when I. Signed up for Marathon de Sabra. I was mm-hmm. about seven months into yeah. Continental when <laughs> this whole thing began. Yeah. And um, uh, to be honest, all of that put together just made me realize more and more that my business relationships and my personal relationships can't be two different things. Sure, It needs to be the same audience. The people that I want to bring into my life as a client are the same people who I would like to welcome into my life as, an, uh, as a personal relationship as well. Yeah. It, it couldn't be one or the other. Mm. Well, it could be personal, and not business, and sure. I'm okay with that. Sure. But I'm most comfortable talking to people who I can think who I think I can have a long-term relationship with. So letting go of that business and being able to sit uh, within the organization, which is Continental, sure. that allows me to do just what I want to do hmm. and not have to worry about the other elements, you know, sure. uh, that I'm not really good at. To sure. be honest, sure. it's fantastic. It's changed my life in the sense that. I was working 14 hours a day, six days a week. Today, to be honest, on a busy day, I'd put in about three hours Hmm. of work. Hmm. And the goal has been to scale back to three days a week. Hmm. I'm currently, honestly, uh, on a four day per week. And we tried a three day per week. And then, of course, we all know uh, (laughs) COVID (laughs) rocked our world. Uh, But to be fair, if it happened in the first attempt, then it would have been too simple. Hmm. So we're working towards reducing the number of um, days that we work yep. and trying to work in those three or four days mm. more efficiently yep. and more effectively. Yep. So letting go of the business today, in hindsight, if you ask me, would I do it again? In a heartbeat. It's, mm. a, it's a no-brainer. Sure. Uh, just the freedom it's given me to do whatever I want to. Sure. Financially, it's made things a lot better for me. Uh, s- uh, even as an individual with my family life and my all the other goals that yep. I've accomplished over that four or five-year period now, has only come as a result of me letting go of something. I'm a big fan of uh, Marie Kondo's uh, yeah. uh, book on decluttering. Uh-huh. And this is uh, something that we have to do in our life with our activities as well. So for me, decluttering in that sense was letting go of those activities. And as a result, even those, there were two businesses, letting go of both of them sure. so that I could just focus on this and be more productive and more present. Yeah, It's more intentional this way.
1: Got it. And yeah. one of the things that you mentioned is that you sort of moved from working uh, maybe a five, six day a week to uh, four-day week as, at this point of time has uh, have have your objectives also reduced or uh, have they increased?
2: It's an interesting one, and, and to be honest, as uh, as human beings, we can want and want and want, sure, uh, and it may never be enough. The goals have changed. By that, I don't mean that they've become smaller. Yeah. But earlier, the goal was to make X amount of money hmm. at any cost, hmm. and that. If you think about it, is it's really not that difficult. Sure. Because you could really go out there and you could say, I'm going to work 18 hours a day. And just by working the extra eight, the extra 10 hours on the next person, I can make more money. Hmm. Sure. Hmm. The goal for me today is still to make more money. Yeah. And every year we, we, you know, sometimes double that uh, uh, goal. Yeah. But the goal is to be able to do that within the confines of those rules that we set. Sure. For instance, if I said today we have X amount that we want to make this year, It would mean, so one of the rules we put in place is we will only onboard 12 clients this year. Mm. That's a big rule for us. Those 12 clients are very defined that we are only um, engaging people who are, for instance, 10 of the 12 clients are going to be entrepreneurs, married with children between the age groups of 38 and 57, Mm. right? Right. There's a net worth associated with that that we want to deal with. The challenges have to be very specific and the rule is I need to be able to bring them home to my family. If any of these things don't uh, match up, we're not taking that client on. So for me, the challenge today is to be able to do those numbers, those constantly increasing numbers Mm -hmm. because I'm ambitious. But being able to do that by following those rules and not uh, diverting. In fact, the team has got... um, uh, absolutely freehand on this, that mm. if I bring a client to the table that doesn't meet our requirement, mm. then I need to justify to them mm. why we're bringing this client on board. I, it does happen sometimes. Sure. There is an individual we bring to the table that doesn't meet our profile, and the team will ask me, why are we doing this? Mm. What's the reason for this? The numbers don't make sense. They don't meet these criteria. And sometimes there yeah. is a very valid reason for it. Sure. But the point is, about 95% of the time, I stick to those rules. Yep. And we make sure it's just done the right way. Sure. So objectives are changed, of course. But objectives are changed with more rules in place. The numbers are still growing. Yeah, But they have to be uh, not at any cost. Of course. Uh, I don't work after 3.34 in the evening. It's very rare. I don't work weekends. Mm. Um, I almost never get a call from a client, really. Mm. Uh, the team manages most of the stuff. True. Sure. And I just do, they do what they're really good at, the analytical bit, finding the right product suite, uh, you know, doing all the numbers, the permutations, the combinations. That's what they're good at. And my job is to sit in front of the client, facilitate,
0: Mm.
2: bird's eye, and help with problem solving. Sure. Right? Uh, Hand-holding, relationship management. Mm. The client needs to know that I don't think anyone's thinking that Rickson comes up with all the solutions himself. Sure. He gets all these, it's not possible, five other people work in the team that make all of this happen. Of course. And my job is just to identify the right five people for those roles. Sure. And hopefully be in a position to get the best out of them so that we can then deliver and keep up our promises to our clients.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Got it. Um... I think this is uh, probably the last uh, sort of question that we've got. I know we can go on for 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 a lot longer but I'm a little conscious of the time. Um, it's a it's it's an um, it's a question, you know, you work with a lot of high net worth uh, clients, business owners, entrepreneurs, um, top executives. So how are their needs, you know, way different
2: from from the others? This is interesting. I spent most of my life, so I've got two sets of clients with me. Hmm. One is um Uh, a legacy book of clients. Sure. So when I started out in the life insurance business, I was 21 years old, Mm. and it's very difficult for a 21-year-old who's had no life experiences to try and sell financial products to an executive who's 35, 40, doing really well for himself. So needless to say, my first few clients uh, for the first three or four years were really people who were 21, 22, 23 years old. Mm. These were uh, retail operation staffs that worked in uh, malls. Sure. And they had free time in the morning. I'd sit and talk to them about their financial needs and get propositions put in place. Fast forward to today, the the top tier clients that we work with today are uh, entrepreneurs whose net worth may be over a a couple of hundred million U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. And the executives that we work with today who are not part of our legacy book... um, are still executives whose household income is between 750 to about a million US dollars mm. a year. Mm. So fairly high up on the income earning scale. Everyone's got similar problems, yeah. right? But we wrote this document uh, about these two sets of clients. And that was the dangerous opportunities and strengths. Sure. So if you, there is a big change in thinking mm. with individuals. One of the group of people is basically think from an abundance standpoint mm. where anything and everything is possible. These are predominantly... Entrepreneurial minds. Sure, they could be executives working for a company, but they are entrepreneurial minds, sure. and their thinking is always limitless, right? Mm. And then you've got people who think from a uh, from a side of um, limitations, mm. scarcity, mm-hmm. right? They're at the beck and call of their business, business owners, companies, stuff. There are rules in place, and they can't break those rules. Sure. And they, while uh, you know, if you're married with children, you've got similar things to plan for, you're thinking education for your children, you're thinking retirement planning, you're thinking I need to buy that house. These are some similarities. The goals may be similar. The methods that uh, they may choose to get to those goals may be different. Mm. If I can make a big distinction, a big difference between, a differentiation between entrepreneurs and and executives, Mm. if you're an executive working for a large Fortune 500 company, you probably have more access to financing options Mm. than an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs are usually seen as high risk. Of course. And if you're an SME owner that's not crossed over into being a corporation yet, Mm. then, you know, if you have to secure financing from banks, you're not their first pick. They'd rather pick uh, an executive who works for a Fortune 500 company, uh, you know, that earns a good salary. The company is listed. Everything is backed and everything is, you know, they've got the right credit ratings. Sure. Let's give him more money. So financial tools are the first thing. A lot of these uh, institutions, a lot of these larger um, companies, you know, whether they are private banks, whether they are um, uh, energy companies, whether they are, you know, uh, sure. any of the larger, sure. any of the big big firms, pharmaceutical firms, their employees enjoy that yep. access to a lot of capital hmm. uh, in form of borrowing and, le- and lending. Uh, however, having said that. Their time is not their own. Hmm. The biggest issue I see with executives that work for companies, now this is big, and big or small, is timing is a big problem. Correct. They are usually at the beck and call of their sure. the companies, organization. the organization. If there Correct. is a need, you need to be there. Absolutely. And if you don't want to be there, the world has become so uh, competitive today hmm. that people are replaceable. Of it's very course. rare today to find an individual. Um, in the even in the Gen X or the millennials and lower mm. who've been in the same organization for mm. 5, 10 years. Sure. It's a rare thing. Yeah. People move. People constantly change. I'm not saying it's a of good course. or a bad thing, but the fact is the market's very competitive. Sure, There's a lot more people out there looking for jobs than there are jobs. Sure. So people who work in, as executives in companies, uh, whether big organizations with big roles or small organizations, they're constantly at the beck and call of their organizations. Sure. It leaves them lesser amount of time hmm. to focus on family, health, children, their needs. Hmm. If you throw into this into this mix financial planning as well, yeah. they don't have this time to sit and follow stock markets, choose the right uh, 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 risk profile for themselves. I'll, I'll, I'll explain this better with one of with a case study for one of our clients. Please. He was a financial planner for one of the largest sporting companies in the world. Uh-huh. And ever since he took on that role of a CFO of that organization, that institution did really, really well for itself. Mm. He roughly got on about 80 to 100 flights um, a year, Mm -hmm. uh, traveling to all parts of the world, managing things, and negotiating very hard with the banks and the financial institutions, investing money for that company in the right manner. I got introduced to him through uh, one of the advisors, in the business that I ran. Hmm. And when I had a first conversation with this guy, I knew of him already from the media and stuff like that. And my assumption over here was Hmm. his finances are going to be on point. What can I possibly have to offer this guy who turned the fortunes of this large company around? Hmm. And when when we sat together and we spoke about things, his personal finance was a mess. Hmm. He Hmm. invested in the wrong asset classes at the wrong points in time. He called himself the market uh, equalizer. Mm. He said, Rickson, okay. anytime I purchase an asset, I can guarantee you within the next week or a month, that asset class is going to crash. So true to that, he okay. purchased property so. just uh, a week before the crash in the UAE. Oh, wow. And this was supposed to be his principal residence, which then he decided to offload mm-hmm. at a lower price. The same is true for various other investments he'd done so. along the way. So. And the reason for that, when we dug deeper into it, the reason for this had to do with the fact that he did not have time on his hands. Correct. He was always on, a, on, the air, on the way to the airport or in a flight when he'd get a call from his bank saying, hey, you've got X amount of money in your account.
0: Mm.
2: You're not doing anything with this. We have a great offer. And just because he was in the middle of a 100 other things, whether emails or meetings or work pressures, yep. he would say, sure, just go ahead and do it without vetting that process. Sure. For the company that he represented, he did it very differently. Of he course. went through a host of analytical tools just to make sure it was the right asset class. And right. they did really well. Mm. But for himself, not so much. Sure. So I'd say one of the biggest things we've seen is access to time Hmm. being a a very critical thing. Today, if you ask me if I have to see an entrepreneur today, he's happy to see me on a run. Sure. He's happy to see me uh, for a drink, for a meal, midday. He's not sitting and worrying about what is my boss going to say if I'm not in the office at this point in time. Sure, sure. Time is a big factor. Yeah and that's probably the reason why a lot of people take up the entrepreneurial side of things is freedom hmm. right money is part of it but freedom sure. is a big part of it as well as far as tools are concerned you know most of the products and services that are available in the market are available for the masses hmm. If you are part of the masses, and you're not going to use those tools, yeah. then you better free up your time to, run, to become entrepreneurial, yeah. then and not maybe, maybe not need the, the product which is available for the masses, sure. and then maybe you can focus on other things that can be put in place. Hmm. A lot of people have uh, uh, pointed out a lot of negative things about forced savings plans, mm-hmm. but the reality is these things worked in the past, and the yeah. reason they worked in the past is it was out of sight. The money was out of sight. Correct. Correct. How many people today who've put money into those products and services would still be sitting on that same amount of money had they not started this and had no discipline whatsoever? Sure. So I think that the tools are available for various sectors. You can uh, and uh, they could be identical in some cases. Yeah. It's really the difference in thinking sure. and the difference in the personality type, which which is the big Good differentiator. Thing. Yeah. Um, opportunities and strengths for both these individuals are also very very different. Mm. So, I'd say if, you're, if you are in the masses, um, I don't think one is right or one is sure, wrong. Sure. There are just different ways to deal with situations. Mm. You just need to operate from a point of strength. Mm. And if you know that something is a weakness, then just outsource that. Yeah. If you know that you are not the kind of person that can sit and draw up your own financial plan, meet a financial advisor. You know? And if you know that you're not someone that can manage your food properly, yeah. meet a nutritionist. Absolutely. If you're not going to go into the details, and we have clients like that, by the way. We have clients... I remember having a conversation with a young guy who was in his uh, uh, mid-twenties, mm. who, when I first met him, uh, his biggest joy was to tell me about how he purchased a new Golf GTI, and it was his <laughs> dream car. Um, when I met him at that point in time, he had no savings, mm. uh, he wasn't married, and had no children, he's married today, he ha- does have children, he's about 10 years uh, older now, mm. from, from when we first met. But today he has saved up. He's still an executive that works for the same company for the last 10 years. Sure. Today his uh, net worth is over a million US dollars. Mm. About 70% of this came from regular savings. savings. Mm. You know, so uh, that's a huge client. That's a huge victory for me of to course. see someone go through that uh, problem. And today, sure. having access to that money allows him to invest lump sums of money into... You know, more uh, better opportunities by timing things, you know, getting a little more risky with that because he knows he's got the backing of so much of security and guarantees. Sure. So I'd say, you know, mindset is a big thing, but just know what you're good and you're bad at Mm. and outsource the stuff that you're weak at. Just uh, focus on your strengths over Mm. there.
1: Fantastic advice and uh, really, really interesting conversation, uh, Rickson. Um, It's been a pleasure having you on. and to our audience, uh, if you'd like to share how they can either get in touch with you,
2: sh- uh, follow you, uh, where are you on social? So I'm, I'm very active on uh, LinkedIn. You can just look me up as Rickson D'Souza and you'll find me on LinkedIn. We've, mm-hmm. we've written a lot of case studies and articles on there that can talk to you about what's going on from a financial standpoint for the average Joe, the high net worth individual, the high income executive as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also very active on uh, Facebook as well as um, Instagram mm-hmm. you can search me under Ask Rickson okay. um, at, on Instagram and on Facebook, Rickson D'Souza should suffice, I doubt there are too many people with that name <laughs> uh, and we also have a website, if you just uh, Google Rickson D'Souza, you'll get my website as a first hit probably, so that Perfect. would be good yeah, those yeah. are great places to reach me at.
1: Perfect. so yeah, if you've uh, got a question for Rickson drop him a message uh, and I'm sure he'll be happy to uh, answer and get in touch with you uh, Rickson, thank you. It's been a pleasure hosting you and all the very best uh, and we'd uh, definitely love to hear of the next time you're planning to uh, get out in the desert and uh, take a really long, long run. For sure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank nice. you for having me. This has Bye. been
2: a fantastic day. Thank you.